Good morning. Well, nothing else will keep us awake, won't it? So I'm going to invite you to, as I sound the chime, we had an event here Wednesday night, and somebody went off with my little hammer for my chime, so I'm going to use a pencil today, so it'll sound a little different, but we know that that little hammer is in good hands, that somebody needed it more than we did, so we bless them and honor them and know that the law of cause and effect is alive in their lives. (laughs) So what I invite you to do is we move into silence and then... I will sing in this very room and uh, share a prayer with you on this day of prayer. And uh, we're going to discuss that a bit today. It has been sounded, whether you heard it or not. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And I invite you to allow my words to be your words in this moment. What I know and recognize is there is... There is a force for good, there is a power for good, it is a principle, it is a vibration, it is an energetic, beyond personality, beyond form. God's presence and the divine mother presence is eminent in everything that we see and touch and feel and sense. For there is only one idea, one life, one activity, and that is God and goddess, both male and female. And so I know in this moment we just honor and bless this day. We honor this, this and bless this day and, and the chaos that we find ourselves in in terms of some of the structure of our heat and our lights and our, our, our screen and our computers and all of those things and to, to just stand in the blessing and know that this is, this is the, a bit of the, the chaos and the darkness before the dawn. That something beautiful and powerful is finding it way, its way here. That we stand together in the faith grounded in the knowing that something wonderful is happening right here and right now. Affirming that and welcoming into our experience all the resources, all the people whose gifts and talents allow us to stand together and thrive in a vibrant spiritual community. And so I just give thanks knowing as well that I am guided this day energetically, beyond the words, the consciousness upon the words, that I, have, I show up prayed up and ready to serve in every way, shape, and form. And so I just give thanks. I release these words knowing this day is fulfilled, beautiful, and powerful in every good way. And I invite you to say with me. And so it is. So, and as so appropriately, I invite you to stand up once again so we can move a little bit, warm the room, 
and uh, find a partner that you can interact with, someone that you can say good morning to. And so I invite you to look that person in the eye, or if it's one, more than one, to look at a couple of people in the eye and say good morning. I see before me the face of God. You are beautiful. You are love. You are divine health. You are divine joy. I see your light. I'm so grateful for your light. Thank you for being you. And so it is. All right, perfect. Just feeling the vent. Just checking the vent. I thought I felt some heat coming in there for a second, but I was just hallucinating. So keep an eye on me. All right, so today I want to talk to you a bit about, uh, we've been using this beautiful book by Andrew Harvey called The Hope, and for me it's just been a wonderful roadmap. If you, uh, you don't have a copy of this, it's a wonderful read, and it's so rich with all of the practices and what has brought us to this point in time on the planet. And tie it in a little bit once again with Dr. Holmes in our Science of Mind textbook. And I wanted to talk about prayer today because prayer is such an um, um, overused word and sometimes a misunderstood word. So I'm reminded of this little four-year-old boy and he's very excited and he realizes that he's, he, he gets the idea that he'd love to have a brother or sister. And so not knowing that his mother was, was um, eight months pregnant... Um, he went to his dad and said, Dad, I, I really would like a brother or sister, and what can I do to help? And, and the dad said, well, you know what? If you pray every day for two months, I'll bet you that you'll have a brother or sister. And the little four-year-old said, it's great. So every day, part of his practice is he would pray. He would go into his room, and he'd get on his knees, and he would say his prayers. And after about a month, which is typical of a lot of people, I can identify with this enemy. He got bored with praying, and he gave up. But he didn't say anything. So he did his first 30 days, but he didn't do the second 30 days. And lo and behold, two months later, he comes home, he comes home from daycare one day, and his dad says, hey, I got a surprise for you. And he goes into the bedroom and, and shows his, and it's, it's twin babies. It's a boy and a girl. And his dad says to him, see what your prayers did? And the little boy looked at the twins and said, yeah, but aren't, aren't you glad I stopped praying when I did? <laughs> So, I think that's an appropriate story to tell on a day of prayer. But prayer really, prayer is such a wonderful practice that, that grounds us when we do it well. I mean, prayer in, in the, the, the finest, I think, and most fully orbed capacity grounds us. It connects us to something larger than ourselves. Whatever we believe, our prayer should bring energy into our lives. The whole purpose of prayer is to open us up to an, an energy. And that's what our opportunity is in prayer. So whether it be affirmative prayer or a traditional prayer, something that we read, it's the Our Father. But what, what's, what's potent and interesting and powerful for, for us, I believe, is that it connects us with faith. That's a common denominator for all faith traditions. You know, the Muslims t- pray five times a day. But I guarantee you that every Muslim that prays, the millions and millions of Muslims, everyone has a different experience with it, as do we. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no right or wrong way to do it. It's what we have faith in. And our faith should bring more energy into our lives. And if it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we're, we're wrong in it. It's just that we may be missing the mark. We may be it, a, a sin is what the Greeks call it, missing the mark. It's what a sin means. And so what we get to do is pull the arrow back. Sin was an archer term and is an archer term in Greek. Then you 
you shoot again, take another shot. Dr. Holmes said this in chapter 12 of the Science of Mind textbook. He said, we find prayer is essential to happiness. It is essential to happiness because he knows what it does for us. It connects us. For righteous prayer sets the law of spirit in motion for our good. Prayer is essential to the conscious well-being of our souls. So prayer is like a lifeline. And, and, and to be able to use it in a way where it's practical and we just get it, that we're, we're, we're comfortable with using this tool because it is a practice. So Andrew Harvey, I want to talk about three things today that, are, that, are, that I think are really, really inspiring and important. I want to talk about uh, Father Bede Griffiths. Father Bede Griffiths was a, an Englishman who went to East India and as a Christian, through his uh, experiences, married Hinduism and Christianity. Brilliant man. And spoke to both the mosaic of these two traditions and the commonalities where he could, he could get beyond the politics and the comparisons and realize, wow, both, both of these paths are powerful and potent. So that's number one. I'm going to share with you that Father Bede story a little bit that, that Andrew Harvey shares in The Hope. Number two, I want to talk about the service practice today, which is service to self. Service to self. In, last week we talked about service to the divine. Well, service to self in service to the divine is one of his second practices. And I'll talk about the three gifts of prayer. That, and there's a beautiful story around that as well. So to start off with this, this story of um, Father Bede Griffins, um, Harvey writes about a, a quote from Rumi, beautiful poet, the Sufi mystic and poet. Rumi said, the lovers are never abandoned by destiny. Destiny will unveil to them the signs they will need and hold out to them in a golden cup the wine they are thirsty for. And, and so what Rumi is saying is that it is our longing that will guide us to what is important for us to have in our lives. So trust your longing. Trust your desire. And I'm going to talk about that more next week because that's a whole other uh, 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 topic that's quite rich and wonderful. So the lovers are never abandoned by destiny. We're never alone. We're never this idea in destiny with a capital D, which means the infinite, the divine. And destiny will unveil to them the signs they need, they will need and hold out to them in a golden cup, the wine they're thirsty for. So Andrew Harvey met Dr. Uh, Father B. Griffiths uh, in the 1990s. He was invited to come and be part of a documentary they were making about his life. And he was in India, and he actually interviewed him 50 miles from where Andrew Harvey was born, because he was born in East India. And so he went and he met this beautiful man, and he said he was not a guru, he was nothing extraordinary in terms of that, but he was so humble, and he was a, he was a mystic, a true mystic. He said in the Greek Orthodox mystics, they call it theo, theosis, which is a sub, subtle transfiguration of the human by the divine. And he is not in any way, as he said, he's a, a guru or someone who claimed all-knowing all or perfect enlightenment, but he said he was one of the most awe-inspiring and humble men he ever met. And it inspired this book. That's why it tells the story and what's happening on our planet right now. And I believe this is, is very important. He was also very funny, as most people are. You know, the Dalai Lama has a great sense of humor. Many, many of the wonderful spiritual teachers on the planet have a great sense of humor because they bring that joy with them. But what Harvey said in interviewing uh, Father Bede Griffiths, he said, he, he said that Father Bede said to him, we face three possible outcomes on the planet right now. And this was back in the 90s, back, late 1990s. Number one, humanity will see a disaster. It will see that what a disaster it has gotten itself into through its own folly. will fall on its knees, ask for help, receive it, and suddenly be astonishingly transformed. He says, probably not. Probably not, because we're, we're, we're slow to change. But we know what's happening on the planet right now. We look out in the world, and when we look at the chaos, and we look at all the things that are going on in the various opinions, I think it's really important for us to know it's all going to be okay. 
It's all going to work out. It always has. I think sometimes it's so, we get so caught up, you know, I, I listen to the political stuff going on, and it's real easy to formulate opinions, and then I start to project onto certain people, and then I have to look at myself and say, where is that alive in me? But it's much easier to point the finger out there. But, but anyways, but it's all going to work out. I think that's an important thing for all of us to be reminded of. It always does. Wherever we are, whatever we're facing, it always works out. The second possibility, so the first one is we all wake up and we say, oh my gosh, we've got to change the errors of our ways and fall to our knees and invite the presence of spirit and this power and presence that is this, this vibration of the most high to come in and transform us and instantaneous, everything's fixed. He said the second one is that the human race could prove so addicted, confused, and stubborn that it continues on its suicidal course until the bitter end and destroys itself and a large part of its nature. There are for all of us when this appears likely but this, I am more and more certain, despite all kinds of evidence, all kinds of evidence to the contrary, is an illusion. So this is Father Bede, Father Bede Griffin's talking about this. That idea as well is an illusion. He, says, he said to Andrew Harvey, he says, you see, Andrew, the God that I have come to increasingly to know and meet is a God of infinite love. God of infinite love. I have been rescued again and again from the worst in myself. Even my worst mistakes and stupidest and destructive thoughts and actions have turned out to create through some mysterious paradox, doors into deeper compassion for all beings and into action born from this compassion. So it's almost as if we're tripwired to get there, despite ourselves, because our, our nature is one of the divine, as within, so without. And that's one of the unique things for us, but the, and the more that we can own that and live in that, it's transformative. And this is what uh, Bede Griffins is talking about. The third one, he says there's a third possibility for the future, and this I am inclined to believe is the one most likely in the end, the one most hopeful. What, and I will tell you the story of what brought Father B. Griffins to this awareness, part of it, because his whole life was a devotion to spirit, a devotion to meditation, and devotion to prayer. But he said, what I've come to believe is that the very depth and extent of our crisis is calling forth an unprecedented force of transformation and healing. So what's happening, the chaos, is calling forth an energetic of transformation and healing. And my teacher used to say this all the time, Reverend Catherine Yates said this over and over again back when I was studying with her in, in the early 1990s. If we align ourselves with it, it can only help humanity survive, but it, it also transfigures it. I did not come to this vision, vision through prayer and meditation alone or even through revelation. I came to it through a profound shattering, almost death, that opened through grace into a far more abundant life than I'd ever imagined. So I want to talk a little bit about that experience of death. And so he was sitting in his meditation chair. It was 6 o'clock. And I don't know if it was in the morning or the afternoon. He doesn't, he doesn't specify. But it was 6 o'clock. And all of a sudden in his meditation chair, it was as if some blow hit him. Something almost pulled him out of his chair. It hit him so hard. And it hit him on the left side of his head. And for a week, he doesn't remember the first week. What happened? He doesn't. He wasn't. He has no memory of it. He wasn't functioning at all. But he, what had happened was he had a stroke. He had a massive stroke. It was actually January 20th, 1996. He describes a hit as a blow on the left side of his head that practically left him, lifted him out of his chair. He experienced a stroke which shut down his left brain function. So once again, that week he didn't speak. He didn't interact. He was unable to recall anything that happened. And what he said was he thought he was going to die. He thought this was it. And he came to the conclusion. He said, I started to prepare for death. And I started to say my prayers, and I started to evoke, invoke the, the presence of the angels. And, and his spiritual practice was to invoke those angels. 
And then an old friend who had been with him for years looked at him and he came over and he started to gently massage his limbs very lovingly and just be with him. And he said all of a sudden he started feeling a little better. He started kind of coming back into a bit of his tracking mentally. He said, I had breakfast and then I actually felt restless and disturbed and bewildered. He said, I had no idea what was happening. I didn't have a clue. He said, it was as if my whole being had become chaos. And then quite suddenly, just like the suddenness of the initial force that had felled me, the inspiration came to surrender to the mother. He actually heard a voice that said, surrender to the mother. And so somehow, he says, I really don't know how I surrendered to the mother and then had an experience that I can only describe as being invaded and overwhelmed by love. Because that's the mother energy. That is the divine mother energy. Waves of love flowed into me. My friend Judy Walters was watching and I called out to her and said, Judy, I am being overwhelmed by love. This amazing experience of love. He said, the stroke on the veranda was the right brain. The cathodic power came and hit me and struck down my left brain in such a way that I could be flooded by the beauty and the passion of the feminine. I had repressed and denied and through it, my being was open to the radiance of the mother alive in every tree, every plant, every rock, every sentient being. And increasingly and wonderfully in the depth of the very body I had tried so long to master and transcend. And then he said, Father B. Griffin leaned forward. It was a couple days before they finished filming the, the documentary. And he said, you know, Andrew, you, don't, you know, Andrew, don't, don't you, that we are living in the house of God. Last week I talked about the eminence of God. I talked about the Our Father, that when they asked Jesus, how do you pray? And Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That this is the heavenly realm. It's not a geographic location. That we're not here to exploit this earth because we're all going to go somewhere and get wings and harps. That's an old idea. That's a metaphor for things. It's actually for us to be guardians and caretakers of this beautiful earth. And to give birth to heaven on earth is why we're here. He said, you know, Andrew, we are living in the house of God. And Andrew said, and what do you mean by the house of God? And Bede smiled and said, I mean that humanity has come to a moment where it will have to choose between trying to play God with the catastrophic results we see all around us and trying to become what all the true mystical traditions know we can become, which is one with God. One with God. Through grace and life. He said this is a dangerous and yet wonderful hope. This is a moment because if enough of us can choose the latter, the birth of a wholly new kind of human being, and so a whole new world is possible. So what Bede Griffin was modeling for us and plowing the ground for is that has, has happened through history, is a possibility of what's, what's, what we're called to follow him with. You know, in 1958, Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. I don't know if probably some of you remember that. Do you know how many people? And so that was impossible at that point in time. I'm just using a sports example of how we draft behind others that have gone before us. Do you know how many have broken that since? Once all of a sudden that paradigm crumbled? 1,303 people thus far. And that, that four-minute mile has now been lowered down 17 more seconds. But for the longest period of time, people said well, the, human, the human was not capable of that. And so we've always, had, we've always had pioneers that have, have created the wake for us to, to fall in behind them. And so Bede Griffin's story is, is what he says, he is a, a model of what is wanting to happen energetically upon this planet. 
And I read a lot of different books, many of you know, and a lot of different teachers. And basically, they're all saying this very same thing. That we have to balance our, our, our acquiring and our acquisition, which is the second high second kingdom, high second kingdom activity. And it's, there's nothing wrong with it, but that's not where we end. And to go into the third kingdom of co-creation and to invite this sacred mother into our experience, most of what we have, most of the baggage we have in third kingdom, we can't take with us. So we can, we can live with it. And I think, and, and as we grow into third kingdom uh, awareness and experience, all of a sudden, some of the attachments we may have will shift and change. But it's organic. It doesn't have to be. See, it doesn't have to be wholesale change. We don't have to stop using fossil fuel because all of a sudden we're doing this. But to know and nurture so that we can, we can transition into things that are, are in, in, in whatever it is, the technologies are amazing that's happening. God's presence is in that. It doesn't mean we have to destroy anything. It just simply means that we continue to, to create and innovate in a way that benefits everyone. Our generations that are coming behind us, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, so that we leave something behind. We're caretakers of this. And so I'm not, I'm not advocating radical, radical change, but I'm saying as social activists, people that take our spirituality seriously, this is our opportunity. This is what we're here to give birth to. And it's such deep work. It's not easy. It's much easier to stand out there in the, in the crowd and point fingers at the people we don't like. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment because Andrew Harvey talks about service to self. And service to self, a sacred activist wants to be strong and, he and healthy as possible to do this work. What is most important, I believe in my own, I'm only speaking for myself right now, is spiritual resiliency. We had, we're at a period of time on this planet where we need the spiritual resiliency to be able to look out in the world and see it for what it is with clarity and understanding and not let it collapse us and not let us break us, but to realize I don't that doesn't represent me. And there's ways, there's people that have gone before us that have written of this and, 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 and talked about this extensively. We are blessed by their wisdom. Harvey says, one of the great lessons that, that loving the divine feminine has taught me is how to mother myself, how to assure that the instrument I am using in the world is treated with tenderness and respect. So, there's a practice for us. How do we welcome the divine mother into our lives? Tenderness and respect. Tenderness and respect. He says it means that looking after the soul through, number one, sacred practice. Meditation, prayer, chanting, whatever it may be. Number two, looking after the mind through constant inspiration. Finding things each day to lift us up and inspire us. Number three, looking after the heart and its emotions through deep shadow work. And number four, looking after the body by diet, exercise, and sufficient rest. So I want to drop back and just talk a little bit about the deep shadow work because that's very, very important. The shadow work is critical to where we are right now. And I'll tell you how it plays out. Um, Carl Jung said this, and Carl Jung is, you know, was a contemporary of Sigmund Freud, but just a remarkable, remarkable man. I could do two hours on Carl Jung and my love and appreciation for him because he spoke the language, I think, that, that supports us so well. He said, when an inner situation is not made conscious, it happens outside as fate. When an inner situation is not made conscious, it happens in our lives as fate. So when you ask, what's, why, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, something that's within them that has not been brought into conscious is playing itself out to be healed, to be shifted and changed. Marcia Sutton, who teaches the co-creation work within our movement, within religious science, says, you can do the work in your prayer chair or you can do it in the street. 
Same thing. It's going to show up. And if you, you can understand it in wisdom and deal with it as you, in your own prayer practice, all of a sudden it'll be different as it shows up in your life. So, he talks about the shadow. What is the shadow? The shadow is the part of ourselves that we may try to hide or deny. And according to Carl Jung, it can be said to consist of energy patterns known as selves or subpersonalities that were disowned, pushed down into our own unconscious in childhood as part of our, our coping strategies. When an individual remains undivided and does not become conscious of their inner opposite, then the world must act out the conflict and be torn in opposite halves. So we feel like we're duality, like there's two of us. There's a good me and the crazy me. You know, we hear all that stuff all the time. But it's you. See, see God, God is not just, uh, you know, unicorns and rainbows. God is all there is. So God is also over in the craziness and the chaos. It's our opportunity to bring more and more consciousness to it so we realize and look at it and go, oh, okay, I see what I'm doing. And there's something within me that, that, that I'm playing out because I keep pushing it. So one of the traps of our, our teaching is that we can use new thought as spiritual bypass. We can try and pray over it and push it down and deny it. I've seen it over and over again. And so the important thing is to realize when you're doing that, when am I doing that? When, is this, when, when, when do I have to stand, as Holmes said, and look at a thing until it no longer has power over me? And how can I find the resources to come into my life to, to assist me in, in bringing mastery to this? In Western pol- political arena, we see this played out with the far right. So we see the, the c- campaign going on right now in the United States. Is anybody here aware of that besides me? There's a campaign going on, and you have people on the far right. You know what that looks like. And then there's the far left. And so what happens is because... The people on the far right don't understand how projection works and how the shadow works. All the things, you know, I, I saw a thing the other day that, that uh, Donald Trump's biographer said, if you notice everything he says about others is what he believes about himself. This is how projection works. It just does. I'm not picking on this guy. I got to tell you, I'm healing the Donald Trump within me as we speak. Because he triggers me at times. You know, the things he says, I'm like, holy cow, this guy really doesn't want to be president. I'm sure of that. But, but, but he loves the attention. And so, but what I'm saying with this is it's just a, such an apparent example. And, and so what happens when you're entrenched in projecting your shadow on others, you don't look over at the far left if you're on the far right and say, hey, there's the far left. You say, hey, there's the far wrong. And the same can be said for the people on the far left. You, and you know them, the, the radical ones that got to save the planet and, sit and hug every tree and all the stuff that at, at times, so they bring the same anger and energy that the far right's bringing. But to stand in the middle, as Andrew Harvey says, in peace and, and, and passionate commitment and devotion to the divine mother and to the divine father and understand that these people are just playing things out because they don't understand. They're not wrong. They're just ignorant. And this work is so powerful, this shadow work is so powerful. After the first of the year, I'm putting together a retreat for men. Because men, man, we need help. And I feel so called to do this shadow work. This is the deeper work that can free us. And there's wonderful, beautiful information out in the world. So the point is, how does it tie into prayer work? Our prayer life can guide and assist us in owning our shadow and embracing our shadow and having a conversation with our shadow. And done properly and devotionally, it rises from the intuition, as Holmes would say, into our imagination, if we understand it, when we're triggered by something. Where do we go with that? Dr. Holmes wrote this on prayer. He said, we find that faith in God is a spiritual quality of the mind, and an understanding faith is based on a mutable principle. 
Its action is higher than that of the intellect because it is born of intuition. So prayer taps into intuition. And intuition is knowing, just simply knowing without analysis, without deductive reasoning. It's just simply knowing. And that is that state of grace that we can move into. So the practice today is these three things, these three qualities of prayer that I want to share with you. Uh, Andrew Harvey had this beautiful nun that he developed this beautiful relationship with when he was at Oxford University. He was a student at Oxford, brilliant man. He was at All Souls College in Oxford. And this nun spoke of her long practice of prayer, and she said three things in prayer have been revealed to her. And it wasn't always this way, she said. As a young, as a young nun in the convent, I was very wobbly. I was very inconsistent. A lot of fear and intimidation going on. But after 60 years of prayer, she said this. She said, number one, prayer will strengthen you because prayer aligns you with the strength of God and certainty of the divine presence. And if you pray long, long enough and diligently enough, you can come to know without a shadow of a doubt that the great love is listening. There's a great love listening to us, always. But we have to turn in that direction. We have to invoke See, prayer allows us as a vehicle to invoke into our experience this vibration. It's a conversation. But we have to invite. Number two, it, it creates patience because sometimes human beings, that you, uh, you pray for the wrong thing or what you would not be good for you. And, then, and the no you get from God is also the answer you have to accept and work with a deeper and more selfless prayer. I think Dan's working on the heat. Thank you, Dan. So, strength, patience, and the third one is prayer can be a channel of divine, a divine grace. And even the two minutes before uh, midnight that we find ourselves in, in this moment where people will tell us it's too late and species are dying out and we don't have enough of this and we don't have that, it's not too late. It's only too late if we buy into that. But our opportunity is to embody this divine grace in a deeper and deeper way, in small ways. We don't have to march on the, uh, you know, we, we can. I, Noreen gave me this beautiful button today, and it's a button in support of mental health. And it simply says beautifully, it's a community effort. And she's got more over here, uh, Noreen Crone Finley. But it's about saying hello to your neighbors and checking in with them and seeing how they're doing. And that's sacred activism. How are you today? How are you today? How's it going? But do it and get from that place of grace and understanding, not going there with some, some agenda. So I want to share with you, I want you to close your eyes our practice today. I want to share you this beautiful prayer with you that Andrew Harvey wrote to the Divine Mother. And I want you to just breathe in. Last week I invited you, if it's, it's helpful to touch your heart, that's part of the heart math, that's part of the kinesthetic prayer. When we touch our heart and think of something we love, we re wire our brains. So what do you love? What do you love? Is it an activity? Is it a grandchild? Hard to not love a grandchild. I'm speaking from experience. A teacher. I, I love the person that, you know, taught me how to read. I love my mother taking me every summer to be in the book club at the library. I read hundreds of books, which has served me so well in my life. So touching that heart and thinking of what you love. And as we do that, I'm going to invite, this is an invocation. It is in his book on page 121. And it's a prayer to the Divine Mother that was inspired by B. Griffins. It was inspired by what he knows to be precious and what's being birthed on this planet right now. Divine Mother, give me your eyes so I can see myself through them and see how holy in your eyes is my soul. 
And how holy in your eyes is my mind. And how holy in your eyes is my heart. And how holy and sacred in your eyes is my body. Help me be as merciful and generous with myself as you always want me to be. Help me honor myself as I have found to my amazement you honor me. Help me live and work from the peace and balance and compassion from which you live and work and help. Help me in these ways, Mother, so I can at last truly become the instrument you need me to become, the sacred instrument of your compassion in action that you created me to be, and that I am already am in your holy and illumined eyes. Just bask in that. Invite that Divine Mother to come forward. We don't have to have a stroke to have the experience. We don't. We just have to stand in the invitation. And perhaps to just have the agreement as well that it has, it's, it's free to show up any time. Not just when we're traveling to or from work in our cars. Sometimes the infinite doesn't want to show up when we're driving. To have an assigned place in your life where you just sit and welcome and bask in the question. And if it shows up, fantastic. And if it doesn't show up or in your awareness and recognition, that's good too. That's the trust and the mystery. That's the preparation. Bede Griffin said, humanity has come to a moment where it will have to choose between trying to play God with catastrophic results we see all around us and trying to become what the true mystical tradition knows we can become one with God through grace in life. This is the dangerous and yet wonderful and hopeful moment because if enough of us can choose the latter, the birth of a wholly new kind of human being, and so of a, a new world is possible. As we look at our current world and watch and hear the language of unresolved inner issues, you and I are being, must be willing to be the midwives to the energy that Father Bede modeled for us, giving birth upon this planet. So are we willing to do the prayer work to develop the resiliency, the strength, the patience, and that unconditional welcome of the Divine Mother into our being and stand in the peace, the passion, and the grace that makes our welcome of love rich and powerful. Blessings, and so it is. Thank you so much.